0: Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills.
1: There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that
2: exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
1: Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events chef prepared meals safety and security transportation resort style amenities and high quality care everything you need is here discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com equal housing opportunity
3: yo next round is about to start you ready yeah yeah just shopping for a
0: car in carvana for real
5: KFI AM six forty. You're listening to the John and Ken Show on demand on the iHeartRadio Radio app.
6: And you can also still leave a message for the Moist Line, which is coming back during the three o'clock hour tomorrow. Using the iHeart Radio app, the microphone icon, or calling the toll free number one eight seven seven Moist eighty six one eight seven seven six six four seven eight eight six. We'll have more next hour on the migrant buses. Well, the bus that was sent to Los Angeles forty two migrants this time by the order of the, the Texas governor. We'll get into that in about an hour here on the John and Ken show.
5: We're going to talk now with Ben Appel. He's uh, a writer based out of New York, and uh, he wrote a fascinating piece that we saw in the Daily Mail. Uh, that uh, he's been he's been gay all his life and identified that way, and now he's running into some friction because he thinks that young children who are being, are being given gender-affirming care because they're identifying as the opposite sex. And you know where that road leads, eventually to hormones and eventually to major surgery. He thinks that a lot of these kids may just be gay. He
6: thinks and, this could erase gay people. That because if you may take someone that is a gay
5: boy and because he acts feminine, you know, move him over to a female. You can convince him that he's really a girl on the inside. And what does he know? You might go along with it. Um, so let's get Ben Appel on to uh, talk in, in detail here because it's a fascinating piece he wrote. Uh, ben, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Fine. Um, talk about what led you to write this. And and you've got a book coming out called Cis White Gay, The Making of a Gender Heretic. So mm-hmm. decode that for people.
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, you said in that, that lead-up that I I think some of these kids might be gay, but the reality is, is that I know some of them might be gay, you know, throughout history. uh, We know that, that many of the kids that were, you know, taken to gender clinics by their parents, um, they, they, as in adolescence, they were same sex attracted, you know, gender nonconformity is a common trait among uh, gay and lesbian people, you know, during childhood, especially, you know, and so, Um, I do know that there are a number of people who, um, you know, perhaps feel or are diagnosed with gender dysphoria and are gender nonconforming and and feel like they don't fit in. They feel abnormal. Um, And then also when they go to start going through puberty, they start to realize that they are attracted to the same sex rather than the opposite sex that they have a lot of, you know, discomfort with that, internalized homophobia. Obviously, there are a lot of kids are, are picked on and, and, and bullied by other kids for being different. And so, you know, puberty ends up being the natural remedy for a lot of these kids. Once they go through puberty, their gender dysphoria, if you want to call it that, desists, meaning that it, it ends, it subsides. And they, you know, become fairly comfortable in their sex and eventually totally comfortable And they grow up to just to be same-sex attracted individuals, homosexual people, gay and lesbian people. Um, And this has always happened. This has always been this way. And so if we're arresting these kids' natural development with puberty blockers, which ends up being a natural remedy for a lot of them, we're we're freezing them in this trans identity and then, you know, tethering them to the medical system forever, as well as essentially transing away the gay because you are – you know, turning these proto-gay kids into straight kids or straight adolescents or straight adults, um, and it's, it's unjust, and it's what occurs in the authoritarian nation of Iran um, under their, under their uh, regime. Uh, they, they encourage or they coerce, really, gays and lesbians to undergo these procedures and surgeries and transition because homosexuality is illegal in Iran where transgenderism is not. Now are transgender people you know, glorified and treated so amazingly in Iran? No, um, a lot of them end up um, in prostitution, but uh, the reality is, is that these practices are what has been going on in Iran for a long time um, because it's illegal to be gay there, to be, uh, you know, be homosexual. And so there's a, a, a very similar process underway in states, and it's really alarming. I'm not the only one that knows this and thinks this. Gays and lesbians talk about this, but we're afraid to speak up and say things because we get shut down and shot down and called transphobes and evil and fascists and all of the the things that you want to you want to hear, um, just because um, uh, we want we don't want homosexuality to be medicalized.
5: Where did this come from? The idea that Children who exhibit gay tendencies ought to be, you know, dragged into a full-blown transitioning program for the rest of their childhood. Like, what? Where did this idea take root? I I swear, a lot of this stuff, even a year ago, I'd never heard of a lot of this. Yeah. And now suddenly it has overwhelmed the world, and I don't even understand all the terms. And I don't even—I haven't seen any medical research on this. I I don't know what's— true and false and most of the people i talk to my friends and family they don't know where what is true and false either they don't know what they're supposed to believe but they know if they express an opinion somebody starts screaming at them
4: well that's that's authoritarianism you know if you're afraid to speak up or speak out about anything or just kind of think and you know there's something strange about this there's something weird or there's something questionable if you're not allowed to ask questions that's an authoritarian movement that you're up against and so and this movement is authoritarian And it's also just been harnessed by the medical industrial complex. You know, there's a a lot of people making a lot of money, but there's also a lot of ideology behind it. People are really pushing for this. It did start these practices the, the, of puberty blockers followed by cross-sex hormones for adolescents and, and kids. That did start in Europe, and it's known as the Dutch Protocol, is what was eventually came to the U.S., and these practices were, were done there, and it was experimental. You know, these, these, uh, there were a couple doctors who thought, hey, you know, these kids are gender dysphoric, they feel discomfort about their sex bodies. Um, Yes, the majority of them, probably 95, 96, who knows how many the percentage are same-sex attracted, these adolescents, Um, but they feel feel uncomfortable. They have homophobic parents, a lot of them. They're bullied, um, but they really don't want to be in this body. They want to be the opposite sex. Um, So, you know, this consistent and persistent gender dysphoria kind of tells us, they thought, that they're going to grow up to be transsexual people, that they're going to want to grow to to transition the opposite sex. Well, hey, let's let's make it easier for them. Let's make them pass more as the opposite sex. Um, you know, give them a better outcome so that they appear more like the opposite sex. Well, what do we have to do? Well, let's just arrest their puberty. You know, puberty blockers had previously been used. You know, for things like chemical castration of sex offenders, et cetera, but also. Um, to treat prostate cancer and different forms of cancer and also precocious puberty. Um, kids that started going through puberty really early, like five, six, seven. And and so they wanted to stave off puberty. Um, and so they thought, well, if we block their natural development, keep them from developing um, and then feed them cross-sex hormones, then we can kind of manufacture, kind of engineer them into uh, an opposite sex body, which doesn't happen because people don't fully become the opposite sex. That's impossible for anyone to change their sex. But what it does do is it tethers them to the medical system. It sets them up for really complicated and high risk surgeries. And they're also oftentimes very unsuccessful. So, you know, there are surgeries are
5: unsuccessful.
4: The surgeries are unsuccessful. And then also kids can be, you know, our bodies aren't supposed to be dosed with high doses of opposite sex hormones. And, then, and and for our natural hormones to be blocked. And that's what these, these blockers do. They block their natural hormones. So for a little boy, their testosterone, they, they just can't do it. It blocks their testosterone. And then as they go through puberty, then they're given estrogen. Um, and they're given estrogen, and they have to continue to remain on these puberty blockers until they get what they euphemistically call bottom surgery, which is essentially castration. And so um, then their testes can't produce the testosterone for their body anymore. And they don't have to stay on the puberty blockers. They just remain on estrogen for the rest of their lives. This stuff sounds gruesome. Well, it's, it's experimental. It's high risk. It's, you know we there's a lot of euphemisms around it like i said it's called gender affirming care but this is not care a lot of people are really being harmed by this and i don't want to say that there haven't been i don't know if the word is good outcomes but there it's not that there haven't been people who say oh i've you know benefited from from these treatments but mostly they're adults they're adults who have made this decision in adulthood And believe it or not, it's not just gay and lesbian people that are speaking out about this. It's many, many, many what typically was called transsexual people. I have so many trans friends who are adults and who say, this has to stop. I made this decision as an adult. This has gotten completely out of hand. You know, this is a social contagion. There are so many kids and adolescents that are identifying as transgender and being taken to these gender clinics. And they're not... Really tr- trans, they're not really transsexual, or perhaps they will just grow up to be gay and lesbian and gender nonconforming. There's nothing wrong with gender nonconformity. There's nothing wrong with a boy being effeminate or a girl being masculine and growing up that way. You know, we are a natural variation of our sex. Um, I grew up very effeminate as a kid, and I was just like that. And I know that I would have been affirmed as a transgender girl if I was growing up now. And that's what, you know, really concerns me is that. Can you
5: hold on? Because I want to talk about that social contagion phrase that you used. Uh, Sure. All right. And and other things. Ben Appel, and he's uh, got a memoir coming out called Cis White Gay, The Making of a Gender Heretic. And he's written a piece which uh, appeared in the Daily Mail that he is uh, increasingly getting skeptical about this movement to send uh, young children through uh, transition, gender-affirming care, which is eventually going to lead to puberty blockers, and then surgery as they become transsexual.
6: And it seems to have taken over Pride Month. Everywhere along the planet, this seems to be the top issue, trans rights, but also this movement for gender-affirming care for young people. we got more coming up. John and Ken, KFI AM 640,
5: live everywhere, iHeartRadio app.
1: You're listening to John and Ken On Demand from KFI AM 640.
5: We're on the radio one till four after four o'clock. It becomes the Johnny can on demand podcast. We continue with Ben Appel. Uh, Ben Appel is a writer in New York. He's gay. He's uh, got a book coming out. Cis white gay, the making of a gender heretic. And he's got a piece in uh, the daily mail, uh, seriously questioning this whole, uh, Trend towards uh, putting gender affirming, right? Yeah, children into gender affirming care, which eventually leads to puberty blockers. It leads to surgery. It leads to boys becoming girls and girls becoming boys.
6: Yeah, if you get carried away with this just because a uh, boy is feminine and does uh, exhibit gay tendencies, you suddenly want to turn him into a female, that may not be the best decision in the long run. He
5: says this is going to uh, slowly erase uh, gay people from society if you transition the kids when they're young because they show a certain affinity for having interests that the opposite sex normally would have. Um, ben, let's uh, get Ben Appel back on here. Ben, you, you mentioned in the last segment social contagion, and I've, I've read a lot about this phenomena. Can you explain how it works, especially among young children or teenagers?
4: Yeah, well, you know, social contagion, I mean, Abigail Schreier wrote a book about this, and there's been a lot of lethal has done studies on this. There's been there's a, a term for, for this, you know, it's called ROGD, which is rapid onset gender dysphoria. That's how they classify, um, uh, you know, young adolescents, teens that kind of suddenly identify as trans. They, they have, uh, many of them have never had even a history of any kind of gender nonconformity. Um, and they just suddenly become uh, totally enraptured with, this ideology they see it online on social media Um, you know they hear about it in school they are taught about it by you know teachers and these seminars etc and then they you know think oh you know maybe this is me I I feel awkward I feel you know different because who doesn't when they're teens um, and adolescents and then you know they they develop this um, this you know identity and then they uh, you know it just becomes a popular thing in groups of kids to to all take on this this identity and it becomes uh, uh, you know almost like a it's just a social contagion that goes around um, these groups it especially affects um, adolescent girls teen girls um, you know it's who think they're actually lesbian No no they actually start to they identify as. Transgender, so they say that they're actually boys or they're actually guys. Um, And, you know, they get really love bombed on social media and and in their schools and and whatever. And they, a lot of times, too, kids that are, you know, more privileged and and they think, oh, this kind of will earn me some cultural cachet, some social cachet. If I identify um, as this kind of marginalized group, I'll be, you know, pitied or victimized or, or treated as special. And, um, you know, in our current society, they, they feel like they can, you know, earn a little bit of cachet that way and, and, and identify as such.
5: Well, if they don't get caught up in gender affirming care, does that all fade away over time
4: as they grow up? Uh, it can. I mean, so the the thing is about with like the social contagion aspect at ROGD, there's not a lot. um, First of all, there's not a lot of studies that are done on, you know, adolescents that, that transition that are you know even younger but this new cohort of of people the spike that we've seen in the recent years of adolescents and teens identifying as you know transgender when they've never had any gender nonconformity. um there's where'd you go you know what what's what's going to happen we just know that there are more detransitioners coming out that were affirmed as the opposite sex erroneously you know taken to, to gender clinics and then you know their parents unfortunately are told falsely that their kid is going to commit suicide if they don't um, affirm them in their opposite gender and so they're essentially coerced and 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 into into affirming this and um, and it becomes they make the decisions that are irreversible and they regret them and and then they end up be transitioning and so there are lawsuits now there are lawsuits I think a, a second one was just announced of a young woman um, you know, suing, I don't know if it's their doctors or insurance companies for approving this, but there are going to likely be a lot more lawsuits, and um, and that's probably what will turn some of this around. But yeah, people are really being harmed. I know them personally, I know detransitioned gay men. Um, I mentioned some of them in my article, I know detransitioned gay women, um, and I know detransitioned straight people, you know, who were caught up in this and young people who um who were just taken over by this ideology. A lot of them discovered it in college, in their early years in college with, with, with gender ideology and, and all of that, and and they just get swept up in it, and it becomes um, a really bad thing, and it, it just affects a lot of people, and it, it harms a lot of people.
5: I Just just have a minute here, and you talk about detransitioning. What do they do with to detransition somebody? This is after they've already had the surgery and the hormones, and, and so what happens?
4: That's a really good question. I mean, some of them have had surgery, you know, women, uh, with So they, there isn't a lot of skin left to do a breast reconstruction. Um, besides the fact that, you know, sensation is, is, is essentially ruined or compromised. Um, and you know, they can't breastfeed, et cetera. Um, if they choose to have children for men, obviously, you know, doing any kind of, of bottom surgery, it means castration. Um, so that's difficult, uh, certainly, for men who have detransitioned to, you know, to recover from and live with. And they, they can and do have lives. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's a really uh, traumatic thing to overcome. They don't or can't produce testosterone naturally anymore because they don't have their testes. So they have to be on testosterone for the rest of their lives, some kind of hormone. And it's, um, it's likely testosterone because they can masculinize again. Uh, and, and that's, it's, it's, a, it's a long process. They can develop breasts. Their hair is different, um, for girls, for women, their voices are permanently lowered. Um, and of course this affects fertility, um, you know, it it renders a lot of people sterile, uh, especially obviously when they've, they've gotten bottom surgery, um, for men. Uh, it also, when they're, these kids who are given puberty blockers followed by cross-sex hormones, they, it actually are end up being sexually dysfunctional as well and likely never ex- are able to experience um, climax, especially for boys. Um, and so, you know, there's just a long uphill battle. But the thing is, is that because this is all experimental, they're, you know, doing this blindly and operating blindly, and these doctors really are performing experiments on these kids, then what do you think happens with the detransitioners? Well, these they don't know what to do with them. You know, endocrinologists who don't know, they don't, they want them to go back to the same gender clinics that did these things to them. So these people have to go and say, okay, now help me. And these people who have done this oftentimes frame it as part of their gender journey. So they say, "Oh, you're not detransitioning; you're retransitioning. You're retransitioning to your original or another gender, or your original gender." Uh-huh. And it's like, "No, I I made this horrible mistake, and you allowed me to do this, and I was never transsexual in the first place."
6: All right, Ben, we have to go. We appreciate talking to you so much. Thanks wow. for coming on.
4: Thanks for having me. Yeah,
6: uh, it's Ben Appel. You can follow him on Twitter at Ben, and then his last name is spelled A P P E L. The book will be called Cis White Gay The Making of a Gender Heretic. And he talked as a gay man about how this whole trans and gender affirming thing is out of control here during Pride Month. Johnny Ken, KFI AM 640, live everywhere, iHeartRadio app. Professional
0: welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shana's at meta.com slash impact. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. feels just right don't miss it mark your calendars and be the first to see it march 20th at 7 p.m eastern only on iHeartRadio's youtube channel save the date at new-qx80.com 2025 qx80 coming this summer
1: residents at brightview senior living communities enjoy enhanced possibilities independence and choice brightview dallas corner in herndon and brightview great falls offer vibrant senior independent living You're listening to John and Ken On Demand from KFI AM 640.
6: All right. Well, if you are not going to punish the drug dealers and you're not going to go after the drug users when you have a problem in San Francisco with fentanyl, then just try to grab as much fentanyl as you can and take it away from being involved in the whole process. We have a report on this coming now from Alex Stone, ABC News for KFI.
7: Alex. yeah, I mean, that the at least the state will argue that they, they are now cracking down on those. They made about 100 arrests as part of this. But, but what this is is a, an operation that, that began six weeks ago where the state said, all right, they are going to make this a military operation in a way uh, with the, the National Guard involved and the, the Highway Patrol doing the, the law enforcement part of it uh, from civilian law enforcement uh, acting as the, the state police. Uh, since uh, the, the CHP is the State Police of California. And uh, and Newsom said, look, go into San Francisco, about 30 agencies, set this up, get rid of the open-air drug markets, the, the rampant drug use leading to uh, the other crimes in the the city that we all know that, that they're dealing with. Uh, and they have gone in, and it has been in some ways like a military operation with a command post and carrying it out. This is Officer Andrew Barclay, CHP, out on patrol, telling us... We're
5: stopping vehicles with, you know... Thousands, hundreds of thousands of potentially lethal doses of fentanyl. So
7: the uh, this offensive uh, running through the the command center uh, in a high rise building, going after those who could be dealing, could be buying uh, drugs, and pretty incredible numbers that they've got in the first six weeks. They've netted 4.2 kilos of fentanyl. That is enough to kill 2.1 million people, three times the population uh, of San Francisco. And a lot of it comes down, guys, to they are pulling over a lot of cars. If you've ever ridden with a cop. Uh, they will tell you they can find a reason to pull you over. You change lanes without a blinker. You were speeding. You're waving a little bit. You have a cracked tail Like If they want to find out what's going on in that car, they can. And they're pulling a lot of people over. As with anything that comes to the city of
5: San Francisco, it has to get here somehow. So if we have fentanyl coming into the city, it has to be delivered to San Francisco somehow. Very often that's done in vehicles.
7: So they want to know who are these people and, and what are they doing in the area. And then, yeah, uh, but with won't it- this be profiling?
5: Oh, well, uh, no. that, that's I mean, coming in five minutes. Yeah.
7: <laughs> I mean, as of right now, these are people who, uh, you know, maybe are roaming around and uh, looks like they've gone around the block a few times and they're uh, they just don't fit in that area that they're doing something that they probably shouldn't be doing. And they are finding that a majority of those being arrested and caught with these drugs that they are coming in from the outside of San Francisco, that San Francisco has become a marketplace. The tenderloin has become a marketplace, but the people who want to sell it, the people who want to buy it are coming in from, from the outside. And, and, Do they drive in to to do what they want to do? They want to put an end to that, begin to go out from the city. Yeah, look at the North Bay, the East Bay, the South Bay, uh, and then go even beyond that. Mike Cena, he runs a regional drug task
3: force in the Bay Area. He tells us... I think that we finally reached the tipping point in this city where the number of deaths exceeded what anyone could stand anymore.
7: But he says the challenge is there is so much fentanyl out there on the streets right now in the Bay Area. That they know that this is only a drop in the bucket, but they're only beginning this operation? It is indefinite at this point. It's going to go on. The
3: dealers, uh, even if they lose pounds, which is a lot of money, it's like nothing to them.
7: And then they've got the intelligence part of this, using the intelligence of the military, of the National Guard, and uh, that they are helping lead a lot of that. And uh, Major General Matthew Beaver is saying? It's
3: being able to understand the networks in such a way that we can uh, give that information back to law enforcement and they can get make arrests. They've
7: also seized cocaine and methamphetamine, but it's been mainly fentanyl that they they found, that incredible amount of fentanyl. Um, they have made about 100. I think it's 98 arrests uh, with this. They say that their their role and their objective, super saturating the tenderloin and, and other areas where there's a lot of drug dealing going on, and they want to shut it down, and and that is the objective that's been given to them, shut it down by the state doing it. It gets around a lot of the politics in the city. If you've got uh, Mayor Breed, who now is taking a little bit more of a hardline approach, but many of the supervisors don't want to do that, and there's a lot of wait, infighting wait, wait. going on. The
5: supervisors still don't they, they found enough fentanyl to kill a half million people or to 2 million people. Yeah. They found are, enough to a kill two million people and the supervisors don't want to do anything about there
7: it. There are a lot of views in the city of what they believe needs to be done to clean things up or, or not clean it up. And then you got the police chief, uh, Scott, Bill Scott in the kind of in the middle of it saying, you know, he's got to do what the, his bosses tell him to do the, the mayor and the, the soups and, uh, and figure out how they're going to move forward. But this allows the state to say, hey, we're going to come in, but are, we're going to supersaturate the area, and then they'll go, do it.
5: Going back to how Ken introduced this, if you're not going to go after the people who are supplying the fentanyl or, or go after the people who are using the fentanyl, at least if you destroy the distribution system and, and grab the fentanyl, that's going to have a great effect. That's what they're doing. And, and right, right. Yeah. so the supervisors are against that?
7: Well, uh, this operation itself, no, not necessarily, but how the city moves on and what the city should do about it, there's a lot of debate there. And that's where you don't get a lot of uh, agreement on uh, how hard should they be, what should they do, who should they prosecute, all of that. So this is kind of taking the the their role and, and making it a, a state operation and saying, well, they will handle it then. But, but yeah, in the city there's still very much a, a debate of, how hard do they want to be? What is the answer? You know, how much of a role of this is homelessness <laughs> they, they, and, and everything else? They
5: look around and they see what's happened to their city.
7: Well, I mean, all the companies that have left now—the the flagship Whole Foods yesterday, the, sho- the Westfield Shopping, shopping Center—saying right. that they were giving up the, their lease because of partly because of the economics of San Francisco, but a lot of that is related to all of this. Uh, and what is going on? I believe it was Nordstrom that said their yeah, Union the, Square, the two thousand Bay- room
5: hotel, where they're yeah. walking away from the mortgage. Another thousand room hotel, they're walking away. Do they? Do they see? It's it's in the news every day.
7: You yeah, know, and growing up in the Bay Area, I remember taking field trips. You'd go to the Hard Rock Cafe, you'd go to the Exploratorium, and, and I mean, it was it was great. You'd go downtown, walk around Union Square. Now, a lot of people don't want to obviously do that. And, and then the companies are, are bailing out of there. And that is where, I've, you know, with Newsom, he's saying he sees it, he, he gets it. I mean, that's his argument in this whole thing. Uh, and the, the, that's part of the, the reason why this operation was put together. And uh, they're getting help from San Francisco police, but SFPD by no means is able to run this thing. Uh, but it is a it's a, a state run uh, deal going down. All right, Alex. Thank you very much. You got it. Thanks,
6: guys. Alex Stone, ABC News for KFI over the operations going on between state and local officials in San Francisco to get the fentanyl off the streets. Now, part of that conversation involved some San Francisco politicians who don't like the approach of arresting anyone in this war on drugs. Well, turns out when we come back, we have a little quick debate between the San Francisco mayor, London Breed, and... And one of these officials, a board of supervisor named Dean Preston, believe it or not, his district includes the Tenderloin, where this product is, where this whole problem is out of control. He doesn't like arresting people. You'll hear the the conversation. John and Ken, KFI AM 640, live everywhere, iHeartRadio app.
1: You're listening to John and Ken On Demand from KFI AM 640.
5: On the air till four after four o'clock. we had a lot of good stuff so far today, and if you missed it, you go to the uh, John and Ken On Demand podcast and listen to it later on.
6: All right, coming up after 3 o'clock, more on the bus of migrants that was sent by the Texas governor to L.A. Steve Gregory's collected some local politicians' response to that. Also next hour, the top politician in our state was called a pussyfooter. I love that term. (laughs) Find out who called Newsom a pussyfooter. He's half right. The, uh, we'll get to that in the big 3 o'clock hour. All right, well, we were just talking about San Francisco's fentanyl problem. They claim they grabbed a lot of it uh, from entering the city. However, supposedly it's a drop in the bucket. The oh, San Francisco you know, mayor, you know, London just, Breed, well, let me just get to this because we I want to play this audio. It's well, really important. I, yeah,
5: I just want to say the drop in the bucket. You know how much four kilograms is? Nine pounds. That's all I got. I got nine pounds.
6: Well, how come it's enough to kill two million people? Because you only need two or three grains. Okay. Then how of everybody isn't dead? They haven't
5: snorted it yet.
6: No. I mean, all the fentanyl that's being used in the United States, we should have millions dead if it takes a couple of grains. I've never understood that.
5: I don't understand it, it There's it just either. so
6: little in your... I know they mix it in with the mm-hmm. with the opioids, but... Yeah, I don't know. I just thought if it takes so little to kill you, you'd think there'd be a lot more dead people
5: than there are. That's a good question. We should ask somebody who knows.
6: All right. San Francisco Mayor London Breed has made some noise about going back to arresting people, dealers and even users. One board of supervisor by the name of Dean Preston, his district includes the ugly tenderloin. They got into it at a recent meeting about arresting people listen to this audio
2: over the last week our police and sheriff have worked in coordination to make arrests for those who are posing a danger to themselves or others and who are disrupting our neighborhoods as of yesterday 38 people have been arrested or cited under this effort some say what we are doing is very controversial but if it was happening in front of your home would you feel like it's controversial if your kids had to walk through this if your family members had to deal with this every single day if it was happening outside of your business would you feel that it's controversial it would feel necessary and urgent and it is
4: Uh, to be clear the city's overdose prevention plan as I mentioned written by DPH and endorsed by you specifically noted that quote black brown and indigenous communities nationwide have long been impacted by and continue to be impacted by the racism and criminalization that have been the hallmark of federal US drug policy for the past several decades. Will you follow your own Department of Public Health's advice and end punitive policies specifically arresting and incarcerating drug users that increase fatal overdoses or will you ramp up these strategies, ignoring the advice of public health experts and causing even more overdose deaths?
1: Mayor Breed.
2: Here we go, another white man who's talking about black and brown people as if you're the savior of those people and you speak for them. I have a sister that I lost to a drug overdose in the city. I have friends and family members who have been lost in the tenderloin with no aggressive action, no changes to policies. Have you ever spent time talking to any of those same black and brown people who are uh, addicted to drugs on our streets in San Francisco to understand their challenges and what they need and what we need to do as a city to turn their lives around? That is the focus of what I plan to do, regardless of what you read or what you see in a particular report, which is, a overall view of what's happening. The fact is, it's not just services. It's also force. I'm gonna to continue to make sure that we are providing treatment, providing force. compassionate care, but at the end of the day, when we need to make arrests because someone's breaking the law and need to be held accountable and can potentially be forced into treatment of services, I'm gonna do so.
6: Yeah, that brings us back to force. The, prob- the problem with Prop 47, remember? It took away what you had as a tool to get the druggie into some form of treatment by reducing it from a felony to a misdemeanor. This just let loose the entire, and I believe, homeless drug problem that we have. Oh, yeah. But boy, he was a smug little rat, wasn't he? Oh, he's a proud Democrat socialist.
5: Yes. and 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 a white guy. And I am fed up with these politicians using race. As an excuse to allow all kinds of mayhem in the street. Well, you know, the drug laws go after black and brown people only if they're committing crimes by using and distributing the drugs. Right. The, the, the the crimes as written in the book is whether you're using the drugs, distributing the drugs, making the drugs. The crime is not what you're the color of your skin is at the time you're committing the crime, and this, that that whole smug attitude has to be blasted through. And I guess a uh, a black woman can get away with it by Man. putting him in his place,
6: place right. See in Sacramento, that's why they wouldn't pass any bills to crack down yeah. on fentanyl dealers. It, it's the same thing. Oh, the it, lost it, war on drugs all uh, over okay. again. And,
5: and who does it kill? That's why. That's why this 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 guy, what's his name, Dean Preston. Dean Preston. Yeah, it kills black and Hispanic people. They're... Primarily the victims of his stupid policy. He's actively killing people. If that's not the most racist act when you have a policy that you could easily change and it ends up murdering hundreds in your city, then you are the murderous racist.
6: But we return. Well, it was LA's turn for a bus of migrants. Steve Gregory will give us more coverage of this bus of migrants that was sent by the Texas governor, L.A. John and Ken, KFI AM 640, live everywhere. It's the iHeartRadio app.
5: And Deborah Mark live in the 24-hour KFI newsroom.
6: Hey, you've been listening to The John and Ken Show. You can always hear us live on KFI AM 640, 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. every Monday through Friday, and, of course, anytime on demand on the iHeartRadio app.
0: Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury.
2: elevated.